Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119? We'll be looking at this passage of Scripture this morning, not the whole of the psalm, or we'd probably be here till this evening uh, <laughs> as we look at Psalm 119 this morning. We're going to be looking at just the first part of that, verses 1 to 16. Listen to these words of Scripture. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. And blessed are they who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying Your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all Your commands. I will praise You with an upright heart as I learn Your righteous laws. I will obey Your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Shall we pray? Father, I pray that like the psalmist, we would come in our life to revere your word and to honor it because it is from you. It contains words of truth and life. It is your holy word that's written so that we might know who you are and how we can know you better and live according to your purposes. Father, help us to do that today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The desire to be happy is a universal goal of men and women. Now, all of us want to be happy in life and find some sort of enjoyment or fulfillment or meaning to our life. And in fact, someone who doesn't desire to be happy, we would consider that to be abnormal. The only question is how to be happy. And most people that uh, we know, and ourselves included, pursue happiness through things that we enjoy. Things like our uh, hobbies, it might be art or music, it might be sports and leisure. We pursue happiness through our relationships with one another, through uh, relationships in our family and with friends. We pursue happiness in our work and accomplishments, or for some, through their money and possessions, things that they have. The problem is that even when people seem to have it all and seem to be able to kind of attain some of those things that they would really like, there still can be hurts and disappointments and loss. And when we look at our world, we see how sin tends to mar everything and take an edge away from it. And even when people seem like they have gained what they wanted, there is always that nagging feeling that there must be something more. There must be something more than just what this life seems to offer. Solomon wrestled with that in the book of Ecclesiastes when he tried everything that uh, he wanted to do, and he had the money to be able to do it, and he tried education and growing in wisdom and learning as he studied many and various things. 
He tried entertainment, wine, women, and song, and the pleasures of men. He tried projects and work and great industry and plans. But all of it came up empty, and he said it was like chasing the wind. And Solomon came to realize that even the ability to enjoy life is a gift from God. You see, the Bible tells us that the happiest people in life are those who have learned to walk with God. If you were looking for the sermon in a sentence this morning, that would be it. That the happiest people in life are those who have learned to walk with God. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? It is impossible apart from God to experience real satisfaction and joy and meaning and purpose in this life. Jesus also taught that in the Beatitudes when he gave his Sermon on the Mount. In that section of Scripture in Matthew, he said, Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed or happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed or happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I know that that word blessed there means much more than just simply happiness. It refers to finding favor with God or sensing His smile upon you and what you are doing. But happiness is a part of that. And that is the message of this psalm also. As the psalmist begins to talk about the importance of the Word of God for our life. If we want to be truly happy in life, we need to know God's Word. And we need to put it into practice in everything that we do. Derek Kidner said of Psalm 119 that this is a giant among the Psalms. Not just in size, but it shows the full flowering of the delight that comes when we give ourselves to living by the law of the Lord. Psalm 1 had begun as an introduction to this when it said that blessed or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he shares the blessings that come from a life that's lived that way, delighting in the Word of God. The happiest people in life are those who have learned to walk with God. Now, I want to share some notes or observations on Psalm 119. These are not all mine. These have come from the study that I've done on this psalm and things perhaps you've heard before. But Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, and it is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it is constructed in kind of an unusual way. It's an alphabet acrostic. There are 22 stanzas in Psalm 119, and they correspond to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. In most Bibles, they actually uh, show that at the beginning, like the New International Version. At the heading of this first stanza, it will show the Hebrew letter for A or Aleph. And for those eight verses, that will be one stanza, and every one of those verses will begin with that same Hebrew letter, Aleph. The second stanza, beginning of verse 9, is the stanza Beth, or like what would be our letter B. And all eight verses in that stanza start with the letter Beth. And it goes on like that all the way through, and it's a very interesting construction as he talked about the Word of God. 
And every verse in this psalm, or each verse with only a few exceptions, there's about two or three, all of them refer to the Word of God. And there are eight different words that the psalmist uses to describe the Word of God. There are words like these, like it is called the law 25 times. It's called the Word 24 times. Ordinances 23 times. Testimonies or statutes 23 times. Commands 22 times. Decrees 21 times. Precepts 21 times. And promises 19 times. Those Hebrew words are repeated and they each have kind of a shade of meaning. There's overlap between them. But the word law referred to instruction. It's guidance. The word for word emphasizes that this comes from God. This is His Word. Ordinances refer to things like case law or legal decisions that have been made. Statutes refer to testimonies that the Word of God is a faithful and true witness. You can count on it. You can rely upon these things. Decrees refers to the fact that it is engraved or written. Commands stress His authority. He has the right to command and to give us these instructions. Precepts detail the terms of the covenant. Promises are things that we can hold on to and believe and claim that are true for our life if we will live this way. One of the commentators called it a massive intellectual achievement. It is an astonishingly crafted poem that talks about the importance of God's Word. Derek Kidner As he observed this psalm, said there are four benefits that keep coming out in this psalm if we will follow God's Word. And those four benefits are this. It gives liberty. In other words, it shows us the way to be free from sin and to live with that kind of freedom and joy that we have sung about this morning. The people who are truly free in life to experience life in terms of its fullness and joy and blessings and freedom from guilt and bondage to addictions and slavery to sin are those who know God. It gives light. It gives wisdom and insight. God opens our eyes when we come to know Him and we begin to see life differently and we read this Word and it takes on that new clarity and insight that the Holy Spirit gives. It gives life. It shows us how to live both now and for all of eternity. And it gives stability to our life. It gives hope and comfort and peace in every circumstance of life. Whatever trial we may be going through or whatever experience may be true to us today, God's Word speaks to that circumstance of life. The people who He used to write the Scripture experience many of those same kinds of things that we go through. And there is a truth for us today to hear and to apply to our life. That's what the Word of God does when we study it and we know it in our heart. It is a masterful psalm. It is well worthy of our study. So let me just share some observations from the beginning part of this psalm today. The psalmist tells us that the way that we get to know God is through His Word, through reading it, studying it, and delighting in it. He begins by saying, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes, and seek Him with all their heart. 
The psalmist found delight in God's word, not for the word's sake alone, but because through the word he came to know God. This word is God's word, is what he is saying. You can think about it this way. For example, when you may in your life have received a love letter from someone that you really cared about. When you got that letter, I would guess that you didn't take that letter and look at it and then kind of examine, you know, Let's see how the grammar is or the punctuation or the structure of that letter or things like that. That letter had meaning for you because of who wrote it and because of what was said in that letter. I think of those soldiers who serve in Iraq today. How do they feel when they receive a letter from home? You know, they take that letter, whether it's the men or women that are out there serving, if it's coming from a husband or wife, it's coming from a child, a son or a daughter, or a family member, they treasure that letter. I would guess that most of them probably put it in their pocket or in their bag that they're carrying with them, and they take that letter out and they read it again and again because of who wrote it. The psalmist looked at God's Word that way, that God's Word was a delight to him because it is from God. It's a word that tells us of His great love. It tells us of His way of salvation, His plan for our life and for our world, and what He has in store for us in eternity. And He wants us to delight in that. It is through the Bible we come to know who God is and what He is like. And if we don't know the Scripture, and there are many people who are ignorant of it, who really simply have never read it or never taken the time to do that, and what happens if we don't know the Scripture, then we worship a God in ignorance or a God of our own making. And there are people in our world today who would say things like, well, I think God's like this, or God should be like this, or like that, you know. And there are people who think, you know, I think God's a God of love, and, and so um, all we need to do is just love one another. That's true. God is a God of love, and we are to love one another. But He is also a God of holiness. He's a God of justice. He's a God who's all-powerful. He's our Creator, our Maker. There are many more things to be said about God than simply God is love. And the more we get to know the Scripture, the more we learn about God and how great and awesome He is. And that knowledge gives depth to our faith and depth to our relationship with God. There are some people today who say, you know, I don't think it really matters what you believe. I mean, all religions are basically the same. When in fact there's a huge difference between the God of the Bible and the gods of other religions. I think sometimes people could benefit greatly from a good comparative religions course to look at what's said about the different gods that there are in this world and to see how vastly different they are and what they ask of us. And you will find the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, that there is no one like Him. That's why the psalmist says, Blessed are those who delight in God's Word and who come to know God through it. In this particular section, in verses 1 and 2, it emphasizes three words. Blessed are those who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes. Blessed are those who seek Him with all their heart. And those three words are all active words. 
The word walk suggests that in our life there should be steady progress and consistency in our relationship with God. We're to walk through life with Him. Not running ahead of Him or not lagging behind Him, but walking with Him in fellowship, in conversation, in prayer. We are to be a people who keep His statutes. That word stresses obedience and faithfulness. We're to hold to the truth of Scripture and cling to it and hold on to Him through it. And then thirdly, the word seek calls for diligence and perseverance on our part. This is something that we need to work at. We need to set aside time with God. We need to be diligent about our relationship with Him to dig into the Scriptures. And those who do that will be rewarded. That's His promise. In Jeremiah 29.13, He said, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. So let me ask you, do you have a plan for reading the Scriptures? Or a plan for studying the Bible? Or a plan for, maybe it's working on your marriage? Or working on parenting as a Christian? Or relationships? Or some other specific area of your life? Do you have a plan to do that? And do you know how to study the Scriptures? I would say that most of us need help with that, especially to start out. We need other believers who can show us how we uh, enjoy studying the Scriptures together. We can learn from one another and the observations that are made on the Word. There are great books or commentaries that have been written to help us study and dig into the Word. And the more that we do that, the more our knowledge grows and we see the connections between one book of the Bible and another or how it all fits together. When we dwell on it, we build it into our life and it becomes part of who we are. That's what the Word is calling us to. And in our church, we want to help you to do that. That's why we encourage people to get involved in small groups or to take our discipleship path and to follow that as God works in your life or to be involved in an adult Bible fellowship or come to our marriage and family classes and small groups that we offer. Things like that that can help all of us to grow deeper and stronger in our relationship with God. Well, secondly... The proof that we really know God is seen in our love and obedience. The proof that we know God is seen in our love and obedience. A long time ago, when I first became a Christian, I heard this saying. It said, to know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to obey Him. And to obey Him is to know Him. There's a circle there, if you will. And as we come to know God, if we're really going to know God, the more we learn about Him, the more we love Him. And if we really love God, we're going to want to obey Him and please Him. And the Scripture tells us that as we obey Him and we delight in Him, we come to know Him even more. It's not enough to just know God's Word in our head. We need to obey it in our life. James 1.22 said, Don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And in John 14.21, Jesus said, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. When you look at verses 3 to 8 here in this psalm, you see that these individuals that the psalmist is writing about who love God's Word 
Make it their aim to do nothing wrong or to walk in His ways. He said, you've laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. The psalmist understood that God's word was to be trusted and obeyed. But the psalmist is also painfully aware of his own shortcomings. He said in verse 5, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. He's saying, I wish I always was steadfast. I mean, I wish I always did the right thing. I wish I always followed what I know to be right and true. But to be honest, I don't always do that. He said, if I did that, then I wouldn't be put to shame when I consider your commands. But I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. And I will obey your decrees. Lord, do not forsake me. The psalmist is a godly man who is just refreshingly honest about his relationship with God. I, as I was considering this and reading through the rest of the Psalm 119, you know, and I'm listening to how he shares his heart on these things, I, I just could identify, I appreciate his honesty about this. He has resolved, he says, I will obey your word. That's what I am aiming for. I want to do what you have said, God. I want to please you. I want to follow you with all my heart. But he also confesses, God, I can't do this without your power. I cannot do this unless you change my heart and do a work in me. That's true of all of us. We need the Holy Spirit's power in our life. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the truth of God's Word, and we need His power daily to equip us to live for Him. And so the psalmist prays, God, don't forsake me. Don't give up on me. Lord, hold me fast to You. Does that sound familiar? Have you come across that in another passage in Scripture? That's exactly what Paul shared in Romans 7 when he looked at his own life and his relationship and his struggle with sin within. And there are times when he felt this tension between I know what I want to do, I know the right thing to do in my mind, but there are times when in my members I sin. And I feel this war within. And he said, who's going to set me free? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That passage of Scripture was especially meaningful to me when as a freshman in college I was not happy with the direction of my life and I began to read through the Scriptures on my own for the very first time. And I started at Genesis and I started in the fall of that year and I was reading through the Scripture and God was doing a work in my life. And I came to Romans 7 about Easter at that time, and I said, God, that's me. That's the way I feel in my life, that there are times when I struggle with this, knowing the right thing to do and not doing it, knowing what pleases you and not living it. God, will you set me free? And God heard that prayer. And it was after that time that He began to bring other Christians into my life who had a relationship with God where they talked about Jesus like He was their best friend. And I saw a difference in their life. I saw a direction and a purpose and a joy and freedom. And I wanted that too. And God changed the direction of my life and He changed my heart. 
You know, that's what He can do. He can set any of us free when we yield our life to Him and we come to place our faith in Him as Savior and Lord or you're a Christian who's been struggling with sin in your life in a certain area and you just have come to that point where you say to God, God, I can't do this on my own. I need You. Will You set me free by Your power? Jesus Christ will do that as we begin to live according to His Word and rely on His Holy Spirit in our life. And it doesn't mean that we will never sin again or we're going to overcome all of these things in our life perfectly. No, there's still going to be things along the way that we're going to have to deal with. But there is growth and there's change that comes as we walk with Him. You know, my prayer for our church is that we would be a church where people can be honest about their relationship with God just like the psalmist. Where if you're struggling, that there's a small group you're in, or you have a friend here in the church, or someone that you can talk to, or you can come talk to us as pastors, and you can share what's on your heart, what you're struggling with, and say, hey, I need prayer. I need help, or I need to deal with this. Because we want you to be free in Christ. And we want you to be growing in your relationship with Him. That's why I really enjoyed the men's retreat in May this year, when we had about 50 guys up there, and men in those conversations were just sharing what was going on in their life and their struggles and their desire to be good husbands, be good fathers, to be men of God. That's, that's what they are resolved to do. But they were honest about their struggles and how hard that can be, especially if you haven't had a role model in your life to show you how to do that. But I believe that 50 guys who were there came back saying, you know what, I know that there are other men in this church who understand And if I'm struggling with something, I have somebody I can go talk to about that. That's what we want for everyone in this church. The third thing I want to say, and the reason I wanted to include this next stanza, verses 9 to 16, is that I want to encourage especially our children in this church to start young in your relationship with God. Now, I know when I say start young, I realize that all of us can't do this. We're already past that age. And I look in the mirror and I see that I'm getting older too, and that's just part of life. But those of you that are young have a tremendous opportunity to start in your relationship with God now, to build into the habits that are going to help you to grow all the way through your life. I appreciate so much the Sunday school teachers that helped me to learn the Scripture at a young age because God used that in my heart. His Word was there that He could draw upon when there were circumstances in life when I needed to hear from Him. And that's what this stanza, verses 9 to 16, deal with. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? It is by living according to your Word. And what he does in this stanza is that he gives very practical suggestions about how we can do that. He calls us to memorize Scripture in verse 11. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love that video clip that Dan shared at the start of the service of a young girl memorizing Psalm 23. Does she understand fully what that means? No, she doesn't understand all of what that means yet. But she's delighting in the Word and she's putting that in her heart and God's going to use that in her life in the years ahead as she recalls those verses. Think of a time when I heard Raleigh Washington, a 
uh, pastor in the free church, bring his little two-year-old daughter up before the congregation, and she quoted the Lord's Prayer. And it was the same kind of um, picture, if you will, of just a young girl who had memorized the Scripture and was delighting in that. God uses that in our life in powerful ways. You know, in past days, it was not uncommon to memorize even this psalm. Psalm 119, all 176 verses. William Wilberforce, who worked for the abolition of slavery. Some of you saw the movie Amazing Grace and saw his life portrayed there. He wrote in his journal in 1819 that I went for a walk today from Hyde Park Corner repeating the 119th Psalm in great comfort. He went for a walk in London, quoting Psalm 119, all 176 verses, and meditating on it. That's a challenge, isn't it, for each of us? You know, it's just so easy in these days to kind of turn on the TV or have something else on that we do, and, you know, that kind of diversion, or be entertained by something else. But here was a man whom God used who took the time to memorize the Scripture and would go for long walks talking with God and thinking about it. David Livingston, missionary to Africa, won a Bible from his Sunday school teacher by repeating Psalm 119 by heart when he was only nine years old. It is possible to memorize this psalm. And I know that when you are young, memorizing Scripture seems to come a lot easier. It's easier for kids. I look at the kids in our Awana program, for example, or the students that have been on our quiz teams that are memorizing you know, large chunks of Scripture. And I know some kids can do that more easily than others, but it just seems in those younger years, you just kind of soak it in. I had that experience in my own life of being able to memorize Scripture much easier than I was young. It doesn't mean we can't do it as adults. We can. But it may take us a little more work in doing that. God will use that word in our life to help us grow in our relationship with Him. The second thing this psalm encourages us to do here is to be teachable. In verses 12 through 14, he talks about that. He says, you know, that praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. God, I want to learn your word. I want to understand it. And with my lips I will recount all the laws that come from your mouth. He's speaking the Word. He's repeating it. He's thinking about it. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. He values it and delights in it. Think of one of my professors at seminary who used humor quite a bit in his messages. And he said the reason he did that was because he felt like people learned better when there was a smile on their face. The word goes in, maybe easier, kind of slips past our defenses, if you will, as we think about that. God, help me to memorize your word. God, give me a teachable heart. Proverbs 9.9 says, Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. And I've seen that in the lives of people in our church who have been the kind of person who takes notes or asks questions or thinks about these things and does study on their own. They delight in it and they grow as a result. Thirdly, he encourages us to meditate on the Scriptures, to think about it during the day. 
Verse 15 says, I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. It's doing what Wilberforce did of taking the Scripture, chewing on it, turning it over, delighting in it, seeing how it applies to life, and finding in that Word strength for each day in the things that we are going through. And then fourthly, it challenges us to persevere in verse 16. I delight in your decrees, and I will not neglect your word. God, I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to stay at it. I'm going to keep growing in my relationship with you. And if we stumble and fall along the way, we get up, we confess our sin, and we keep going. Because the happiest people in life are those who have learned to walk with God. And the way we get to know God is through knowing His Word and obeying what He has said. I want to share with you a historical story again in closing today that's an example of this. The Bible can change not only a life, but it can actually transform a community. Most of us have probably heard the story of the mutiny on the bounty, but few of us have probably heard how the Bible played a vital part in that historical event. The Bounty was a British ship that sailed from England in 1787. It was bound for the South Seas, and their assignment was to go and to bring plants, fruit-bearing plants and food-bearing trees, to make those islands more habitable as the British were sailing around the world, literally. So this crew set out, and ten months later they arrived at their destination at these islands, and for six months the officers and the crew gave themselves to the duties placed upon them by their government. But when the task was completed and the order came to set sail again, the sailors didn't want to leave. They liked living on a South Sea island. They liked the native girls, they liked the climate, and they liked the ease of life that was there, and the result was a mutiny on the bounty. And the sailors placed Captain Bly and a few loyal sailors with him into a boat and set him adrift on the sea. In an almost miraculous fashion, Captain Bly survived the ordeal, was rescued, and eventually arrived home in London to tell his story. An expedition was launched to punish the mutineers, and in due time, 14 of them were captured and paid the penalty under British law. But nine of the other men had gone to a distant island, and there they formed a colony. At that colony, life became very depraved. I don't know if you could have found a more debauched social life than that of that colony at that time. They learned to distill whiskey from a native plant, and the alcohol, along with other habits, led to their ruin. Disease and murder took the lives of all of the native men, and all but one of the white men survived. His name was Alexander Smith. He found himself the only man on an island surrounded by a few women and half-breed children. But Alexander Smith found a Bible among the possessions of a dead sailor. And that book was new to him. He had never read it before. And he sat down and he read it through for the very first time. And God began to do work in his heart. A spiritual transformation took place in his life that began to transform that colony of people. He believed it and he began to appropriate it. He wanted others to know it too, and so he began to teach classes to the women and children as he read and taught them the Scriptures. 
It was 20 years before a ship ever found that island. And when it did, it found a colony that had been changed by the Word of God. The people were living in decency, prosperity, harmony, and peace. There was nothing of crime or disease or immorality or insanity or illiteracy. How was it accomplished? By reading, believing, and applying the truth of God to their lives. That's what God is asking us to do as well. The psalmist ended this psalm, 119, in in verses 171 to 176 in this way. He ended it with a prayer. And he said, May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. And may my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your law sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Let's pray. Father, may the psalmist's prayer be our prayer too. May we delight in your word and find joy in it and all that you teach us there. May we set our heart to live by it, to live life as you intend. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you enable us to do that. Father, forgive us for when we sin. Help us to be strong. And change our life. Change our church. According to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.